Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. We've got authors. Authors and lots to talk about, so I'm going to start off. Look, Jan, as you already know... I'm an analogue thinker in a digital age, and my guest today explores some of the intricacies of that dilemma in her book, My Life as a Hashtag. So, Gabrielle Williams, welcome back to 3CR. Thanks for having me. It's great being here. Now, the protagonist in this story is MC, which is a short, well, it's short for Marie Marie Claude, but that in some ways, that uh, con- condensing of the name encapsulates what's happening in the digital age to a yeah. certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, funnily enough, when I started writing the book, um, I had MC as a placeholder name because it was stood for main character. Ah. <laughs> and, um, and then as I was going along, I kind of became really fond of MC as a name and then... So Marie Claude actually came after MC, yeah. But an acron- acronyms uh, sort of abound in the uh, the digital they age. They do, they totally but do, yeah. MC is 16 yep. and I would like to describe her as naively worldly wise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she meets her father fairly early on. There's been a breakup in the family home. Yep. Yep. He hasn't shaved, he looks dishevelled and mm. uh, his personal assistant is with him who has hair that's like the wreck of the Hesperus. Mm. Um, what's going on? It was going through my mind. Um, so MC doesn't read the cues. Yeah. And there was another scene later on where um, she goes over to where her dad's living and there's a glass of wine, a glass of wine sat on dad's side of the bench and a bottle of water on Tosca's side. Mm. Well, there's a. How would you interpret that, Jan? Mm, I think somebody's sleeping over. But MC <laughs> doesn't necessarily get it. Yeah. So there's that naivety. She's yeah. 16. She's 16. And I think that, you know, sometimes 16 year olds, they seem so. And they are very worldly. I mean, some of the things that they're exposed to these days are way more sophisticated and way more advanced than we were exposed to, but um, on the other hand, they don't have that life experience. But yeah. at the same time, uh, she's aware of uh, numerous signals and protocols mm. within her own friendship group. Yeah. There's a bit of rivalry over a boy called Jed. Jed and I were sitting by the pool on banana lounges, but she has to keep her uh, friendship safe with one of the other characters, Anouk. Um, I'd been warned, in French no less, by a tram-riding, mermaid-swaying, wolf-eaten, peace-sign-flipping friend. I knew she wouldn't be happy if I stayed out here by the pool with Jed's nail tracing the length of my neck. <laughs> so she she is aware yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, and the need for 16-year-olds to have those sort of signals and signs and protocols in place? Yeah, well, sometimes I feel like um, teenager you know, the time of teenagerhood is really a time of, you know, when you're a kid, everything is just kind of pretty uh, straightforward and then you get a bit older and the intricacies, the shades of grey that start coming into personal relationships are what you're really, that's one of the first times that you're exposed to it as a teenager. And I think that, um, so yeah, the thing about that Anouk has got dibs on Jed because she kissed him in 
in, Marimbula. At, at Marimbula, the holidays at Christmas. And, and she's written her name, her married name on her folder, her Jed married name. So she has actually claimed Jed as hers, even though she and Jed aren't together. Having a relationship, yes. Yeah. And that's one of those interesting things. That I think there is a lot of negotiating. I mean, there's a lot of subtle kind of politics and negotiating that goes on in all friendships and teenage years are really the time when people start becoming exposed to it. So you've captured this sort yeah. of adolescent world, mm. uh, the heightened awareness of sexuality and all sorts of things. Mm. Um, just to set the background just a little more before we go into the crisis, um, there's a friendship group of Yumi, Liv and, and Hattie um, and the challenges of keeping that group together. Mm. And then you've got an, a lovely counterpoint with all of these, uh, shall we say, aged references to things you and I would understand, uh, Jan, uh, <laughs> dad jokes like um, the wreck of the Hesperus and uh, Yumi's brother is studying cinema, like uh, things like Network. I mean, mm. who would have thought they made films in black and white? Yes, uh, right, yes. So you've got all of that background, but then... Things go awry. MC and Anouk have a falling out over this Jed character. MC is not invited to Anouk's party. And MC sends out an anonymous digital message which goes viral. Mm. There were 1,000... Sorry, there were 1,748,100 results Mm. to this. Yeah. we need to deconstruct this a little. Mm. It's bullying, but it's understandable. I'm not justifying bullying, yeah. but it's out of control. Well, it's interesting because um, I sort of, as the author, I can't say that I feel that MC was necessarily a bully. I also can't say that Anouk was necessarily a bully. I think that they're negotiating friendships which are complex. And, and I mean, Anouk blocked MC. I mean, I, I sort of feel like all of those sort of things are very difficult for kids to to deal with. Yeah, They're difficult to deal with anyway mm. because it occurs. Yes. There's sniping mm. and interaction mm. and establishing boundaries. Yeah. And so it's sort of part of that natural interaction. Yeah, But yeah. then when you introduce digital technology, mm. they haven't got any control of it. And you can't step back from it. No. Well, look, I'm not on Facebook, so it's quite ironic that I have written an entire book which focuses fairly largely on social media. But one of the reasons I'm not on Facebook is because I remember when it first came out and people would say, you know, someone said that they want to be your friend. And I'd go, but what if you don't want to be their friend? I mean, it seems like such a... It seems like such a... Um, Artificial? A, yeah. And also it seems like you are making a statement. You know, if you become friends with someone in the real world, you don't say, I'm your friend. And if you're annoyed with someone, you don't also say, I'm blocking you. But this is what happens in the digital world. But it's- it diminishes what the term friend actually means. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got thousands of friends mm. on Facebook, mm. but you could probably count on one hand those friends you could rely on yeah. in the real world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's part of the problem. Uh, one of the problems of the digital age, I've got lots of stories about people, oh, I've sent you a message on Facebook. Uh, yeah, why didn't you just tell me we were standing next yeah, to each other? Yeah. Um, th- then to add to this, you've got parental responses. Mm, and mm. so Anouk's mum uh, sort of goes ballistic and... Um, 
the uh, MC's mother wants to sort of try and negotiate. Yeah. It doesn't work. No, and that's probably another example of um, social media impacting you know, impacting on relationships differently because back when I was growing up, if there was a problem with friendships, your parents never knew. You didn't, I mean, I never spoke to my parents about that sort of thing. It would have only been if it had gotten to crisis point that you would have actually. But now, I mean, pe- people are finding things out through all different ways. People's parents are hearing through other people's parents what's going on. And basically then it explodes mm. or uh, go just is totally out of control. Part of the other problem is then um, miscommunication mm. because um, Anouk sent uh, MC a message which MC misinterpreted. Yes. And yes. here's the other problem with digital communication. What yep. are people actually saying? Yeah. Well, I love it when, um, you know, people people can even read something as simple as a text which says, hello, you know, and it depends on if you want to read it, if you're annoyed with the person and you want to read it like, oh, hello, you know, you can put your own intonation on it. If it's a mm. if it's a short text, then you can read into that that, oh, they're, they're cross or they're angry or they're being short with me, whereas it might just be that the person is really busy or mm. they're just going, yep, yeah, no, or fine or whatever. And but, so when these communications come through without the interpersonal yeah, cues yeah. that you get across mm. – well, across a, a radio console, mm-hmm. mm. uh, it's it's harder to read. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So, uh, therefore, messages get miscommunicated, mm. misunderstood. Mm. You also then have a media response yeah. to what has taken place. By the way, it was a very clever uh, sort of... Was it a rant or um, communication? I'm not sure how to describe it. Yeah, it was it. a rant. She ranted. Um, and But she used an app and uh, yeah. creatively, yes. uh, et cetera. And so, therefore, it, it grabbed uh, worldwide attention. Yeah. But this then brought about a media yes. response. And yes. that's interesting as well. Yes, yeah. It's, it's, I feel like a lot of the book was actually inspired by real events that have happened over the years, and not just digital events, you know, for example, um, Corey Worthington and that massive party he had, you know, I was probably one of the few adults in the world who thought, poor kid, you know, he's 16 years old, and he's got this um, thing going on, or, and then other things have happened online, which have had the similar kind of response. And I, I look at my kids, and I just think they're 16 years old, they're going to make mistakes, but you don't need media, you don't need adults in the media coming down on them. Well, also making a judgment Mm. uh, because what you've illustrated here is Mm. this is something that is, shall we say, natural. um, But then because it gets exploded in the digital world, Mm. because it gets taken up by the media... Mm. There's no perspective to it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think people are very busy having opinions these days, which is sort of a bit of a um, – I feel like that's a bit of a problem as well. You know, people almost feel obliged to have an opinion. They feel like they have to fall on one side of the fence or the other. And there is – there's no kind of like – from one one to one hundred, it's either you're one or you're one hundred. People aren't kind of like going, well, I'm a bit of a fifty on this. You know, I mean, people, mm. yeah, the judgments are flowing, and it is sensationalised mm. in the media to yes. get uh, viewers. But then you've also got a school response, yes. and I'm just mm. wondering because we won't go into what that actually was yes. because we, people can read that for themselves. Mm. But 
how can institutions manage these situations when the digital world has no limits in many ways? Yeah, I think in this situation, this school, I mean, that is really what schools will do sometimes. Um, What happens in that is actually a real example of something that happened. And, um, I mean, I feel like the schools, they do try their best. I think generally schools are pretty good these days, but there is definitely, I think parents can be very difficult sometimes, much more difficult than they were. They're more difficult today. They're Mm. demanding Mm. outcomes for their money. Mm. Uh, The other difficulty is MC's very intelligent. She's on a scholarship. Yes. Uh, So there are layers here of difficulty. Yes. But the institutions simply cannot cope. And the thing with the scholarships is that if you have a scholarship, it's fantastic, but you do have... Obligations. Obligations. Many more obligations and you don't have as much room to move because you're actually being supported by the school. So there are expectations on Mm. you from the school, yeah. But it then means, I mean, one of the the lines towards the end, you know, the adolescent mind is not fully formed. How do adolescents get back or put their feet back on the ground after something like this. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because actually what often happens these days with the digital world is that things do follow. They can't, they really do, sometimes they might have to leave a school and there's nothing to say. And, I mean, there have been plenty of examples where that has come back and people that they don't know find out it, what's it follows them it yeah. can't well the thing is it can't be erased it's yes. in the digital cloud yeah. or whatever yeah so if anybody has the nous it can be traced yeah so you can't actually escape or make a mistake and think yes. uh, and and put it in the uh compartment somewhere to think i've learned from that i can move on yeah it's gonna exactly. be a lot harder to move on yeah but with the word moving on, I'm afraid I'm going to have to move on. Uh, I've been talking to Gabrielle Williams. The book is My Life as a Hashtag, and it's an Alan and Unwin release. Thank you, David. Thank you, Gabriel. Well, I'm speaking with Catherine Bollard, but I don't want to talk about her writing just yet. I want to talk about Catherine as an artist. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. Well, through your book, you talk about how you develop an artistic concept from the place you've been working in? Yes. Um, I lived in the bush for 30 years um, on the far south coast of New South Wales and I actually um, began to paint using tradition, uh, non-traditional materials that I was using building in the bush. Um, and then as my art career progressed and I travelled and I won a scholarship to um, a residency in New York, I started using natural materials for the environment that in, where, in which I was practising my art. Um, in Luxor in Egypt, mm. I was using um, papyrus, uh, I was using palm tree trunks, limestone that would, would be used to clad the pyramids, mummy bandages, encaustic medium, which is an ancient Egyptian medium. In the south of France, I was using um, 300-year-old recycled oak beams, um, Brut de Noir, which is a walnut stain, um, a brown stain, and La Chaux, which is some limestone powder. So lots of stuff for the environment. Well, this, this, you only just tapped on this mm. in your writing because your writing really is more about you, your personal life, yes. rather than your artistic outgoings. It is, yes. And uh, how did you get to Egypt? 
Well, in 2010, just prior to the Egyptian Revolution, I was invited in my capacity as an artist by the Egyptian government to participate in an international artist symposium in Luxor. Well, pretty exciting. Yes. But that wasn't the main exciting thing that happened to you in Egypt No, actually not. No, that was pretty exciting (laughs) itself. But um, on arrival, I met a young Egyptian journalist um, who was employed by the Ministry of Culture as a translator because there was 25 artists from around the world participating in the symposium. And Sparks Flew. Sparks Flew. (laughs) A little quote from the book. This is in Gamal's voice. I saw you first. It felt as if I already knew you, he continued. The moment I saw you, you entered my soul and I knew you were my destiny. Be still my beating heart, was the famous quote that sprang to mind. As both smitten and amused by his highly romantic and poetic words, I concealed my smile and pleasure. Yes. I mean, you know, how can you not be swept off your feet with that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Well, there was a problem, a few problems about it. The oh, Yes, Yes. Um, for a start, well, we began this relationship and it was actually a long-distance relationship, so I was travelling backwards and forwards to Egypt in the aftermath of the Arab Spring. Um, So it was a tyranny of distance was one issue. Mm. Um, Our age difference was was quite an issue, 27-year age gap, Uh, and the cultural differences. So, yes, and his family, my family. (laughs) (laughs) Impossible, absolutely impossible situation. And even trying to find time to spend together, there were such things as the Egypt adultery police. Yes, which I had no knowledge Ah. of prior to going to Egypt, but apparently um, as an Egyptian national, if you book a hotel room, you need a marriage certificate and there's the adultery police that will come around and check to make sure, and and so I was, we were sneaking backwards and forwards to each other's rooms, as you do, and and uh, if we'd been caught, we would have been arrested by the adultery police. All this happens in part two of the book, Hippie Days, Arabian Nights, and part two is so different to part one. Yes, part one, as you said, it it deals with your time in um, around Bega, mm, in land mm, around there. Mm. Um, Look, I loved your growing up because you'd really never finished art school, did you? Well, I never really finished growing up either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Your memories are very similar to mine. Shared housing through the 80s. Seagrass matting. I tell you, it was everywhere. Everybody remembers that. (laughs) The self-help books. I think every uh, shared house had Grassroots magazine. (laughs) Yes, well, that was one of the first... um, that was one of the first books we bought, that and Earth Garden magazine. Oh, yes. And actually, Grassroots magazine, I've been communicating with the fellow that um, owns oh, that magazine. Really? He's doing a review in uh, the August issue. Oh, So that would be lovely. That, that, that is nice. Yes. Because, you know, you got the land mm. and... Honestly, you write about sort of setting up this, this, this life on the land. There was having chickens, milking goats and, of course, in a hippie commune you'd expect naked yoga. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I was spinning wool. I was shearing a sheep by hand with clippers, shearing, spinning the wool, weaving the wool into material to make the clothes that we wore. So, Look, yes. yeah. Your sustainability on this land was incredible. And as uh, if you don't mind, I'll read another little bit mm. about coming into the Bega Township. You know, this is where you know, real people live. Yes. 
hand-spun, hand-woven, hand-knitted garb, laced with leather and buttoned with seashells or small discs of wood. You know, this is what you were wearing. Yes. So you, uh, you probably got... Uh, and look, I want you to read from page 46 because yes, you, know, you, you talk about the remoteness and, and, and your tough life out there. Well, this is a passage um, I just almost cut my leg off with, with what was called a... Um, a draw, a draw knife. I was barking a log. Um, as you do. <laughs> as you do, yes. We cut down this tree and we needed to bark the log in order to use, you know, chop the timber for fence posts. Um, so John was chainsawing a log in the gully and I hadn't, and hadn't heard my screams. So I hobbled, whimpering and snivelling down the hill to place myself in his range of vision. As I stood flapping my arms like a fledging wedge-tailed eagle, he caught sight of me and switched off his machine. I barked my knee, I squawked pitifully. Shit, he said when he saw my blood-soaked shot sock. Let's go and see Charlie. It'll take too long to get to the hospital. As luck would have it, we'd met the doctor from Sydney in the laundromat in Bega the week before. With a fervent desire to escape the city and get back to nature, Charlie had just moved with his young family into a run-down dairy on a neighbouring property. Clearing the breakfast dishes from the kitchen table when we turned up unexpectedly at his ramshackled residence, he asked his wife to fetch a needle and thread. As I lay on the tabletop, clenching a rolled-up tea towel between my teeth, the neighbourly medic dabbed my knee with Dettol, sutured the wound with a few rough stitches of black cotton and wrapped it with a muslin bandage. Charlie's wife made me a cup of chamomile tea, and when the men, men smoked a joint, and, and the men smoked a joint, and then John and I drove home. That afternoon, albeit with a bit of a limp, I was stripping bark from another stringy bark log. "You're a legend," said John with a grin as he picked up the chainsaw and headed back into the bush. My feathers ruffling with pride. Oh, gee, <laughs> mm, an absolute legend. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, of course, what changed quite a lot was Eva. Yes, that was a bit of a shock to the system because at the time we had no running hot water, electricity, or flush toilet. We were living in a mud hut, basically. Um, so, so I was washing mm, nappies in a oh. copper, boiling up, you know, making a little fire underneath a copper boiler washing the nappies, putting them through a mangle, you know, that sort of thing. Well, no self-respecting hippie would be seen dead using disposable nappies. Absolutely you know, you not. didn't do that. But, no. of course, it sort of curtailed your time, didn't it? It became sort of Yes, it did. It, the division of labour became so distinct. Up until that stage, my husband and I did everything mm. together. You know, we baked bread, we fenced, did, went out fencing together, we were building together. But when I had my daughter, I was relegated to inside a lot, breastfeeding and taking care of her. And it was, yeah, that's why we asked my mum yeah. to come and live with us in when my daughter was about 18 months old. We so, kicked the goat out of the goat shed and <laughs> <laughs> fixed it up and put my mum in there. This, this, in this book, I learnt about goats too mm. and how your goat really should have been called Lazarus. <laughs> Uh, coming, Ma- Maggie coming Thatcher, yes, Maggie Thatcher. Oh God, she. I, I actually donate, devote a whole chapter to Honey the Goat because she well and truly <laughs> warrants it, warranted it. Yes, and uh, your need for socialisation and and sort of your view about what was happening with a lot of the pot smoking going on. Yes, sort of started.
started your you in the realms of uh, bureaucracy and getting mm, things, setting mm. up a refuge. Well, when we, I mean, when we moved to the area, there was very few services for women, and you know, at mothers' groups and playgroups, mm. that sort of thing. We, as women got together, and we 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 decided we needed to do something about that, and we lobbied for four years, and we the government gave us a building in the township of Bega, and we set up a women's refuge, and out of that, I got work um, as a working as a support worker for a women's housing scheme. Completely yeah. unqualified, and but those were the days of affirmative action when the government was placing women into untrained women into support roles. And I love this that the, uh, the council wanted to try and get rid of all these little hippie communes. Oh yeah, they threatened to bulldoze our, our yeah. dwellings unless we, you know, put and, building applications in. Yeah, and of course uh, the owners builders association scared the locals so much because the locals had, you know, this is the the, the uh, scrutocracy there. Yes, there sort of so many. Um, well, that's how that's how. We got council to back off, yes, because we said if you're going to make us comply, then they need to, you know, the rest of the community needs to comply. Look, as I say, there's two books here. There's your life, but boy, what a life. And it's the threat of bushfire was always around, but Mm. it's the outcome. And that was the outcome that caused you to leave the property. So yes. we're not going to explain too much about that because it no. really is a fantastic life story. And mm. I know you're still living it. Yes. <laughs> it's a story of different cultures, mm-hmm. different communities, mm-hmm. completely different communities, yes. and also family expectations. Absolutely, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the most serious challenges to my relationship with this young Egyptian man was his family's reaction to our relationship, which was perfectly understandable. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not Mus- I'm not Muslim. I was twice his age. I was divorced. Absolutely, I didn't tick any boxes whatsoever. No, and having mm. to hide from mm. his family mm. you know, with, with lights turned off. It was like back to adolescence again, <laughs> And then I it? virtually had a fatwa taken on me and had to leave Egypt in disgrace. And, you know, oh, yes, it was pretty oh, horrendous. Yes. All in this book. The book is mm. Hippie Days, Arabian Nights, and it's a wild dingo press. A reminiscent of uh, The Light in the Piazza. Have you ever come across that no, novel? No, I haven't. Uh, a, a woman takes her daughter back to Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the daughter is challenged and she falls in love with a, an Italian boy. Mm. But the parents have different expectations. The mother is trying to hide the daughter being challenged. The father of the Italian boy is worried uh, because he finds out the uh, daughter is a year or two older. Mm. And so you've got this mm. cross-cultural uh, <laughs> misunderstanding, totally, shall we say. Yes. And, Gabriel, I bet you there's a bit of um, misunderstanding in your book too. Oh, yeah, plenty. <laughs> Between cross-ages yeah, cross <laughs> and stuff. Uh, cross-generations oh, and, exactly. and parents on the digital world oh. finding your mother on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> it's a worry. <laughs> well, I had and thoroughly enjoyed Hippie Days Arabian Nights by Catherine Boland. And I uh, talked to Gabrielle Williams about my life as a hashtag. Someone has to explain to me what a hashtag is and how. I I sort of know, but I don't know how to use it. Well, it's just a thing. You just put it at the beginning of any word and then that's your way of kind of um, sending it out to the world if you think people might be interested in something that you've written. He's really analog, isn't he? Oh, why? Oh, just. You know, adolescents have to grow up, and so does David. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, rad- Jan. <laughs> On that note, I think we'll. Wait, I'll see. I won't see you next week. We'll see you next week. Okay. So listen in again. More authors. More chat next.